0: The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back with us this morning as we try to uh, study out the answers to some of your questions. And that's what we do on this program is answer viewers' questions. It may be about the Bible or it may be about something that you've heard is in the Bible or it might just be something in your life that you wonder what the Bible has to say about it. We'll try to find answers to any of those kind of questions for you. Uh, You'll notice there's a phone number and a website down at the bottom of your screen. Use either of those to get in touch with us. Our operators will be standing by to take your questions, or you can just log on, and uh, type in your question, and we'll get to it as quickly as we can on the program. So that's what we do here, and uh, give us a call or log on, and let us know what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. Let me introduce my partner here, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back with us and ready to go here, and uh, well, we always start with a question for our viewing audience, and then I think you get got the first one after that, but let me ask our audience this one. Who asked for a vegetarian diet? There was somebody in the Bible that really did ask for a vegetarian diet, so that'll please the vegans in our audience (laughs) to to find out who that is. And we'll give you the answer at the end of the program, see if you and your family know. All right, Toby, you got the first one, so get us started.
1: Absolutely. Well, one of our viewers asked a very direct question What is the plan of salvation? And as a follow up, is baptism necessary? Well, uh, the answer to the question is yes. Uh, There is a plan of salvation in the Bible. The Bible is very clear about that. And uh, the Bible really says that the plan of salvation is very simple. Unfortunately, most of the time in the religious world, we make it very complicated. But when you simply open the Bible or sign up for the Bible correspondence course, you can see very quickly the scriptures are very direct and plain on the matter. Uh, As to your follow-up question, the answer is in the affirmative, yes. Yes. Now, some people like to take certain verses and just pick and and choose uh, certain verses, uh, but they don't take into account the totality of what all the verses in the New Testament say about how one comes to Christ and puts on Christ. If you look at the totality of it, Uh, You'll come to uh, some very simple steps, and I'll share those with you. There's lots of different scriptures, but the scriptures I'm going to share with you are from the book of Romans. These won't be on the screen, but you can write them down, or you can simply ask for them, call and ask for them, or you can uh, study them on your own. The first is to hear the gospel message, and that is uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. We must... Be able to hear and to listen to what God calls us to do and to know that Christ is the only way by which we may find salvation. It may seem like a simple point, but uh, it's necessary to hear it, not just listen to the gospel, but actually hear it and receive it and understand it with your mind and accept it. Uh, The the next part is to believe in Jesus and to believe that He is uh, the only way, uh, the only means of salvation, and the only way into heaven. And uh, then to confess Him as Lord with your mouth. And uh, Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 tells us that very clearly. Now, If you uh, uh, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And that's what, that's part of the process. Now some people stop there and say, well that's all you have to do. Well, if that's all you have to do, you ignore and you leave out some other verses in the Bible. Uh, And they'll say, well, are you trying to earn your salvation? No, 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 not at all. (laughs) Salvation is a free gift of God. Uh, This is simply uh, doing what God said to do to accept the gift that he has given and opened to every man and every woman. Uh, The next is to repent of sin. That means to turn away from sin. It means you can't uh, uh, claim to be a Christian, to put on Christ and still be doing intentionally all the things that you Know to be wrong, and that the scriptures clearly say to be wrong. Doesn't mean you won't mess up, doesn't mean we won't stumble and fall. We all do. But uh, we have to have a heart that's penitent that says, I don't, in my heart, I don't desire to do what is wrong. I want to do what pleases the Lord. And then, of course, to be baptized. And if you can look at Romans chapter 6, very clear on that. Also, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repentance and baptism uh, is just as part of the process. Very simple. We believe in baptism <coughs> by immersion. And uh, that is when you're, you know, believe that Christ is Lord, confess Him as Lord, repent of your sins, then you're buried with Him in baptism, and you can be saved. And the last step is simply to remain faithful and to, to keep Christ as Lord in your life and to always serve Him with all of your heart. Let's read Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. This verse is on the screen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved but whoever does not believe will be condemned so there's some simple steps for you and the answer to the question is yes baptism is part of the plan
0: okay very well answered (coughs) joby and uh, let me just talk about one thing a little bit you started out by saying the plan is there it's very clear it's very easy to understand and all right and then you read from a number of different books and places so it's not in one place that yeah, that yeah. in one verse it says, here's the plan, right, right. A, B, sure. C, D, E. Uh, and the way I like to think about that is whoever asked the question, wherever they were, that's the answer that they got. Yeah. Uh, for instance, I just got back from vacation and uh, every once in a while I'd want to know where I was going next. So I'd get the iPad <laughs> and I'd <laughs> plug in directions and I'd say, from current location. Yeah. And That's would, a good point. Yeah. it would refigure from where I was, here's what mm-hmm. you need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I got a little off this way, it would tell me, go a different way. But, sure. Uh, but folks in the Bible, if they didn't know anything, right. and they said, how do I get to heaven? Well, you got to hear the message first. Yep. That's, yep. You start at the very start, <laughs> uh, but a lot of people were toward the end or taking some other steps or yep, all that. Yep. So uh, if you look around the Bible, like Toby just did, it does. <sighs> fit right together, and it will get you there. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah,
1: you got to know where you are to, to know where you need to be. <laughs> yep.
0: All righty. right, let's see what the next question is. Uh, somebody wants to know about the most holy place in Hebrews 8 and 9. And uh, I'll admit Hebrews is a little bit uh, tricky to understand sometimes if you don't know much about the Old Testament. Uh, this is one of those places in the New Testament where the more you know about the Old Testament, the more, the more it makes sense. Uh, the Old Testament was written for our learning and to teach us about God. We don't follow its rules and regulations anymore, but it explained a lot to us. And the writer of Hebrews is explaining why the New Covenant, the New Testament, the life under Jesus is much better than the Old Way. So what he does in chapter 8, he talks about the new covenant and the old covenant. And then in chapter 9, he starts into this thing about the most holy place. And it's just one of his arguments. It's one of his small arguments about why Jesus is better. And I don't want to take time to read all of it. But if you go through chapter 9, the first 10 verses, he talks about the old tabernacle and the old holy place. He says, verse 2, a tabernacle was set up. And in its first room where the lampstand and the table and the consecrated bread. This was the holy place. And behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? Well, God said that's where he lived. That's where he resided was over the Ark of the Covenant. So in the Jewish mind and the way they thought about it, the most holy place was where God was. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on and says that the priest went in and out of the holy place all the time, but in the most holy place, only the high priest got to go in there once a year, and he had to take a blood sacrifice to go in there. But he went in every year to atone for the people's sins. Okay, So that's his description of the most holy place in the tabernacle. Now, verses 11 and 12 will explain to our viewer what the writer is talking about. Let's look at Hebrews 9, 11, and 12. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. And he goes on to explain uh, what he's saying is he got to where God is by his own blood, and he only had to do that one time, and so he's a better high priest than the old high priests. So that's what the most holy place was. He's making a comparison uh, between that of the old tabernacle, the physical one here on earth, and how Jesus went to the real most holy place where God was uh, by paying with his own blood and that sacrifice paid for sin once for all. So the whole argument is he's just explaining how the new covenant is so much better than the old covenant. But read a lot of the Old Testament and you'll learn a lot more about the most holy place. Uh, first few books back there, Leviticus, and some of those explain the the tabernacle and how it was all set up. So that's what it's talking about, I think.
1: Okay. Uh, well, uh, the next question is mine, and the viewer asks, when we die, is our spirit conscious until the day of judgment. Well, this is certainly an in-depth question, and uh, the Bible truthfully just doesn't say a whole lot about the afterlife and what our experience will be like there. Now, of course, we do believe when you die that the the spirit, the soul, uh, leaves the body, and so a person who passes away, their body is just <coughs> sort of a shell. Uh, that's left behind, and the the spirit goes on to a different place um, What we understand about the Bible comes from just a few places in the Bible, and it's really us extrapolating from kind of reading into those verses so i I give my answer with a little bit of caution to say truthfully, I think we're all going to be surprised and uh and and when we pass away uh it will be an experience unlike we've ever had before but the scripture's very limited uh that it but it seems to indicate that yes we will be conscious uh after we pass away that in some way our spirit will have understanding and knowledge and now my understanding of that and that answer comes largely from the story that Jesus told of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke, Luke chapter 16. Um, and there he talks about uh, two men, a rich man and a beggar, and they they lived very different lives. But when they died, the rich man was in a place of torment. And uh, the beggar was over at Abraham's side, and he was, uh, the, the rich man was just in agony. Uh, he begged Abraham just to Put a, a place a few drops of uh, moisture on his tongue to get relief. Uh, he begged him to be able to go back and warn his family. And Abraham said, "Where we are is fixed. We can't cross over, and you can't go back. Uh, they've got the prophets, and if they don't listen to that, then you know there's not much hope for them either." Now, this is a very interesting story. Uh, we can determine, if you look in Luke chapter 16, which is where the story is found, that once a person passes away, that in the afterlife, in the separation, uh, what we call the realm of the dead, which is the ha- Hadean world, Hades, there are two sides to that. Uh, there is uh, the place of torment, and then there is uh, Abraham, what's called Abraham's bosom, or Abraham's side, and and in those two places, it's kind of like a waiting room, if you want to think of it that way, until the final day of judgment on Resurrection Day. But in that waiting state, there's no changing positions. So once a person has died, their, their state is fixed. And in that waiting state, we can see, as Jesus describes it, that there is awareness. There is the ability to feel pain. There is sensation. Uh, some way the senses work. Uh, there is the ability to communicate, to hear and to listen, and there is knowledge and and memory of the past. Um, So it it does seem from that story that yes, we are conscious. Now, how exactly that's going to work, uh, the details of which I don't think we'll ever know. Uh, The point of of this whole thing is not what happens after we die, but to make sure that we're ready before we die. But the Bible doesn't really tell us uh, how that specific experience is going to be, other than that story in particular. Uh, let's read Hebrews chapter nine, <clears throat> verses 27, 28 together on the screen. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and He will not appear. And He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation for the, to those who are waiting for Him. And so I hope uh, that helps explain. It's a bit of a mysterious question, but we can infer some things from uh, from Luke chapter 16. Yep.
0: Not told much about the afterlife, but uh, it's going to be good if we
1: yeah. do this <laughs> do this
0: part right. That's right. All right. Let's take this moment to talk about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, we study it with you for a half hour every week, but uh, we've got some know your Bible study materials that we're happy to provide you absolutely free of charge. Been doing that for. Ever since we started the program years and years ago, and uh, consequently we've got thousands of graduates from uh, lots of our courses, and lots of them let us know how much they appreciate it and how much they learn from studying with Know Your Bible Study Tools. What you see on the screen now is a first set uh, lesson we send everybody to get started with. It's a very basic set, uh, not tied to any denomination or church creed. It's just a study of the Bible It starts out real basic. You can see the first two lessons there, the Old Testament and the New Testament. So that's where you start is learning the difference between those two big parts of your Bible and then you learn some other topics as you go on through these eight lessons. Uh, we're happy to offer that to you absolutely free of charge and uh, be glad to send it to you. All you have to do is use that phone number or website log on and tell us you'd like that free course. We'll get it started for you. And once you get through those eight lessons, we've got some more advanced courses that you can keep studying the Bible for quite a while with Know Your Bible Study materials. So, let us provide that for you and we think you'll enjoy it. All right, next question is kind of tied to yours about soul and spirit again. Uh, viewer wants to know, is there a difference between soul and spirit? Well, Uh, One verse will answer that for you, Uh, and once again, it's from Hebrews. We seem to be using Hebrews a lot today, but Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the Word of God, that's the Bible, the printed Word, is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So if the writer of Hebrews said that God's Word will penetrate, will divide even soul and spirit, uh, there must be some difference between soul and spirit. Now, that answers the question. There's a difference, but explaining is a little bit harder. In fact, explaining it's a lot harder. Uh, It's hard to discern that difference because the Bible, even itself, kind of uses them interchangeably sometimes. Uh, The best way I... Can explain it, I think, the best way I understand it is to think of the spirit as being the immaterial, uh, the not physical part of us. Uh, For instance, God is spirit. He has no physical body. He's spirit, and He made us in His image. We are spirit. So we uh, have a spirit, but we also have a physical body, and together, We can call that the living soul. Uh, So let's say it this way, we have a spirit, we are a soul. And that's the way the Bible uses it, it talks about people as a soul. Uh, For instance, on your screen you see two souls, uh, Toby and Steve. Uh, We are spirits, we have a spirit, but we also have a physical body. Now, like Toby explained in the last (coughs) question, at death that spirit leaves that physical body but still it talks about souls being in heaven, uh, the the combination of the body and spirit. So Bible's a little hard to really tightly define this is spirit and this is soul, but I think that's the easiest way to think of it. We have a spirit. We are a soul. Uh, our body and spirit combined make a living soul, and in heaven we'll be a living soul with a new creation body. So... Uh, there's a difference. A little hard to discern sometimes, but mm-hmm. that's it, I think.
1: <laughs> okay. You uh, were asked the a question, what does the Church of Christ think about predestination? Well, I'm going to answer this question, but let me give you this caveat first. Um, Please don't take what I say to be an ambassador for all churches of Christ. I'm sure you could visit any local church of Christ and perhaps find some disagreement. In general, churches of Christ uh, try to abide by the New Testament as our sole guide, and that—that that is, we don't use extra doctrinal books or any anything beyond the Bible. What human beings have written, we just uh, stick with what is in the inspired Word of God. Now, the question is about the doctrine of predestination, which is a doctrine probably made famous by St. Augustine and and John Calvin. And that doctrine essentially says that uh, everything is predetermined. We are predestined where we're going to end up in eternity. We will either be saved or lost. And there's nothing that we can do to change that. We'll either be one of the called, one of the elect, uh, or we won't. And there is nothing within our capacity to do or decide or act uh, that will change any of that. Uh, if you study it, you'll probably uh, study, I think it's the TULIP is the acronym. Um, and that kind of explains it more fully. I'm not going to go into that. But uh, essentially, uh, it's just an idea that God has set this all up and we have no free will in the matter. Well... I can understand I really can some some ways that they look at some scripture and and find that, however, uh, I do believe that largely ignores some very important verses and some just the basic concept that salvation must be a choice and that a person must choose uh, and that God leaves that free will up to each human being, and furthermore, he will not. Uh, interrupt or override uh, you and I, our capacity to choose where we want to be. So, And that has been all throughout Scripture, not just in the Old, uh, New Testament, but in the Old Testament, well, Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve. Uh, there was this constant idea that God wanted them to be on the right side. His prophets were always saying, choose uh, what is right, ob- uh, choose to obey, and so forth. So... Um, predestination is the idea that if you're saved, you cannot be lost. And if you're lost, you cannot be saved. Um, in in some ways, I think that doctrine would be a very comforting doctrine uh, because, well, gosh, if I'm saved, I'm, I'm just, I'm good. I'm, I've got my my ticket punched and I'm there's nothing. I mean, I just got to wait for Jesus to return, or until I uh, until I pass away. But that's just not what the Scripture says. Uh, we all have free will and the ability to choose. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12. This will not be on the screen, um, but there Paul really admonishes the church at Corinth. He says, "If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall." Now, if predestination were true doctrine, he, he wouldn't need to say that. <laughs> I mean, he would, you know, it would just already be determined. There would be pointless to say, be careful. Uh, Peter says, be wise in how you live, uh, not as foolish, but as wise because the days are evil. Well, what's the point in that? If if you already know where you're going, you really don't have to worry about how you live. So, uh, there are lots of scriptures in, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Peter gets on to this. Uh, that just simply are too large to ignore. Um, if things are predetermined, our actions have no consequence. Furthermore, there's no faith or repentance necessary. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where Peter says, "...the Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance." See To me that says it's not a fixed decision. He's leaving it up to you until the day of your death or Jesus' return it's uh, in your hands. So. All
0: right, thank you Toby. Uh, interesting question here or a statement of yours says, I have a friend who doesn't take communion because he believes it was only for the apostles. And um, I think that may be the first time I've heard of anybody thinking that or uh, understanding it that way but I can kind of see where they would get it Uh, When the Lord's Supper was instituted in John chapter 13, if you read that, Jesus was definitely speaking directly to the apostles. So every time He said, you, He meant the men there in that room, Uh, so I can see where you could read that and think, okay, that's set up for them and that's the only ones it applies to. Uh, The trouble with that belief is if you go on and read the rest of the New Testament, uh, you find some interesting things. Acts 2.42, I would advise you to tell your friend to read Acts 2.42. That was when the day the church started. 3,000 people were baptized. The church began on the day of Pentecost. And verse 42 says that they, the church then followed the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread. So they devoted themselves to making sure they took the Lord's Supper, observed it on the first day of the week, and we know that's what happened from history. Uh, The other one is 1 Corinthians 11. Have him read that. 1 Corinthians 11 talks directly about the Lord's Supper. It even calls it the Lord's Supper. And Paul is advising the people in Corinth on how to do it right. And he says in verse 28 and 29, Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves." So he's telling the church in Corinth, when you observe the Lord's Supper, all of you, examine yourselves, do it right, all of that. So uh, many of the apostles were long gone by then and uh, Corinth was observing the Lord's Supper. uh, So it was obviously for the church and that's why we still observe it today on the first day of the week. Let me take this moment and invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. The Churches of Christ uh, in our viewing areas provide this program for you. And there's one in St. John, Kansas, that uh, great group of people out of there do a lot of good in the community, uh, ministers are Carl Farrell and Tom Turner great guys, and I know you'd enjoy worshiping with them, getting to know the folks there in St. John. Uh, if you are looking for a church home you would be warmly welcomed and of course wherever you live there may be a Church of Christ close to you and we invite you to visit and thank them for providing know your Bible for them. Uh, Toby, I think uh, you got time to answer the sin question? Yep, I think we
1: can do that okay. pretty quickly. Uh, in, fact, in fact, this person says, what is the terrible sin Adam and Eve committed? Please answer in plain words. Well, I like that question. And uh, here's my answer to it. Adam and Eve sinned by doing exactly what God told them not to do. And that's probably the best definition of sin I can think of, is by doing what God said not to do. Or the converse of that may be of not doing what God says to do. But sin is in, is disobeying God. And that was the big problem, and that's really not just their problem, but it's everyone's problem, because we all do it at some point or another. All sin really is terrible because ultimately it's what separates us from the Lord, from knowing Him, and and mercifully and graciously He knew that we would mess up, that we would make choices to disobey Him, and so He provided a Savior who would uh, cover for our sin, pay the price uh, for our sin, and take care of that so we can have hope in Jesus Christ. Let's read Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 together. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And of course, they did. And I think we have a trivia question. we got a trivia question. <laughs> Who
0: asked for a vegetarian diet? And the vegetarians were Daniel and his friends. Uh, Not necessarily because they were vegetarians, but because they didn't want to eat the meat that the king supplied. We're glad you're with us today. We invite you to be back next week more of your questions on Know Your Bible. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a church of Christ near you.